0: Hi, my name is Gary Myers. And I'm Joe Fondo. Welcome to the Answering the Call podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to people who are answering God's call. Today's guest is Abdu Murray. This is another one of our Defend Apologetic Conference uh, speakers. Abdu is the North American director of RZIM, Ravi Zacharias' ministry. And he talks about how to answer people, not questions great way to look at apologetics. Let's hear from Abdu. You are the um, North America director for RZIM, Mm -hmm. Ravi Zacharias Ministry, but you're a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, How did that happen?
1: Yeah, well, a funny thing happened the way to the courthouse, as they say. (laughs) Um, uh, So I was uh, a partner at a law firm, actually I was a partner at two different law firms, and uh, was doing part-time ministry and really wanted to do full-time ministry. I'm still a lawyer, I maintain my law license, um, but I'm doing this uh, on a full-time basis. So uh, how it happened was I was doing a ministry of my own called Embrace the Truth, Mm. which was a politics evangelism on the side. And then I was doing some events with RZIM and I got to know the RZIM folks. And uh, they said, hey, why don't you help us to run North America, our region? And I said, sounds like a good idea. And we just sort of merged my ministry into theirs. And uh, that's kind of how it went.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Why do you maintain your legal license, your law license? Do you still practice or? So I do uh, have a um, uh, foot in the legal door,
1: um, mm-hmm. but I also serve um, in terms of a ministry capacity. I help to um, field legal questions and these kind of mm-hmm. things as well. But another good aspect of it is that I get to have my, my, my finger on the pulse of the mm-hmm. legal community. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm very interested in is the philosophy of law as it applies to spiritual issues, like mm. um, transcendent foundations of law. Mm. And I want to be able to speak um, at um, conferences involving lawyers or judges and at law schools and that kind of thing. And maintaining a license, um, among other benefits, yeah. allowing me to even practice law in the first place, helps
0: me to do that as well. That's interesting. I wanted to ask you a few questions um, uh, about a recent, recent talk you did. And you made a comment that I thought was really interesting, and you talked about the perception of the gospel mm-hmm. from other people and how some people can think it's harmful. Yeah. So some people, as I understood you, could think it's harmful maybe from a social point of view, right. but others could think it harmful from a theological point of view. Mm-hmm. For those listening, how do we wrap our heads around a person who could think the gospel is harmful? The gospel seems like a good thing. It's the good news. Right. How would it be harmful?
1: Well, um, I think oftentimes, and this is part of the discussion I have in my latest book, Saving Truths, mm-hmm. Um, we're in a post-truth culture, and the post-truth culture is one that doesn't deny that truth exists. It simply says, post-modernism used to say that, a post-truth culture says truth exists, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, What matters more is my agenda. Mm -hmm. And so what they might see, see as harmful is Christianity, for example, says that there is a truth, and freedom is found within the bounds of truth. So that sounds paradoxical, because freedom is found within the boundary of something. Mm. Well, freedom, we think of as boundless. Mm-hmm. But that's not really freedom, that's autonomy. Mm-hmm. And the Bible stands against autonomy, which is you know, two Greek words, autos meaning self, and nomos meaning law. Mm. So when you're autonomous, you're a law unto yourself. So today's culture wants to be autonomous. We wanna have what we want, when we want, in whatever way we want. We even want to be what we want whenever we want. Mm -hmm. Whether it's uh, gender issues or transhumanism or whatever it might be, we don't want boundaries. And so the gospel makes the claim, like Jesus makes the claim in John 8, when he says that um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So truth leads to freedom. And he himself says, and the Son will set you free indeed. So if the truth sets you free and the Son sets you free, then the sun is the truth. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then they see the gospel message as being harmful because it puts restrictions on your autonomy. I see. The reality is, the remedy for this is to show that, yes, the Bible does stand against unfettered autonomy, but it doesn't stand against freedom. Freedom has to have boundaries. Otherwise, it leads to chaos. So I think that's why they see it as harmful, but it also can lead to, I think, um, real fulfillment if we understand freedom and its it's in its real sense. Yeah. We have a caricature of freedom now, not a reality of freedom.
0: I see. Do you think that um, post-truth will go in the same direction as post-modern? So, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, post-modern um, philosophy is is kind of easy mm-hmm. to rebut in a lot of ways because yeah. it's very illogical, right. but it's seeped into our culture in right. a lot of deep ways, and people don't always make that connection. Right. Do you think that we're going to see post-truth kind of doing a similar thing, or is it a different beast altogether? It's
1: a little bit different in this sense, is that it looks like post-modernism um, on, it, on the outside, but it, deep inside it's actually quite different. Post-modernism rejects truth's existence by claiming it doesn't exist, which, of course, is a truth claim, and, of mm. course, it's illogical. Post-truth doesn't reject truth. It just says that there is a truth, but if it doesn't subserve my Preferences, then I'm going to either lie about it or I'm going to ignore it altogether. Mm. So when you bring facts and logic to a postmodern person, they they can see that mm-hmm. um, and understand the depth of the logic. When you bring it to a post-truth person, they're ignoring it mm-hmm. because truth matters. They're acknowledging truth exists. They just simply don't care.
0: So this sounds a lot like um, Kyle Beshears. He was here at Defend, and we talked also and he talked about apathyism, mm-hmm. yeah. and just this idea that it's like, how do you talk to somebody who simply does not care? Right. You know, it's
1: a little bit similar to that, except that this is agenda-driven. So apatheists don't care about spiritual things, Mm -hmm. post-truth people do care about spiritual things or social things, but they care about it their way. And if you come up with truth and facts Mm -hmm. that um, contradict their agenda or their preference of some kind, whether it's a sexual preference or societal preference Mm -hmm. or their narrative of the way things are going, they will either ignore it or they'll lie about it. Um, So it's not quite apathy. They care quite a bit, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, About their agenda, so much so that the truth doesn't matter. So my point in saying Uh, they don't care is not they don't care about truth's existence. They're saying this particular set of facts, if it confronts me, I don't care enough about following truth to let that affect me. They're willing to cherry pick and they're okay with that for the agenda. And that's what I call the culture of confusion where Mm. confusion is considered a virtue. If you're confused sexually, you're a hero. If you're confused morally, you're progressive. If you're confused religiously, all paths lead to God, well then you're considered tolerant. Mm -hmm. But if you're clear sexually, you're a bigot. If you're clear morally, you're regressive. And if you're clear uh, on maybe only one path leads to God and there's good reasons to believe that, well then you're considered intolerant. So confusion becomes a
0: virtue and clarity becomes a vice. I wanted to ask you about that. Confusion becomes a virtue. Mm Is this something that we have sort of logically concluded because of the actions, or is this something that people in this post-truth culture, these advocates for this, actually would say confusion is a virtue? Yeah. Maybe not those words, but... Right.
1: I think it's a mixture of both, and give you an example. So um, uh, now it's become sort of fashionable mm. to say if a child expresses, for example, confusion about their sexuality, it used to be the case that they just were confused and mm-hmm. we would let them work it out or we'd help them work it out Now we actually foist on them. Oh confusion means you're not sexually normative You're not heterosexual. You're whatever whatever among the spectrum LGBTQIA Whatever that might be you are one of those mm-hmm. so we try to label them there So your confusion becomes virtuous because you're a hero for coming out uh. um but no one would actually say those words, I value confusion. No one says those things. But it used to be that confusion was just confusion. Right. Now it's considered virtuous to be confused because it right. leads to a path that's not the norm. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a bit of an epiphenomenon in the sense that um, I'm noticing it as a virtue not because people are saying it's a virtue, but because people are acting like it's a virtue. Um, until the clarity comes, they'll say, well, no, it, it, I'm not confused. I am you know, mm-hmm. gay, or I am lesbian or whatever. I'm not confused. I'm not saying you're not confused. I'm saying that um, the confusion that started the whole process was considered virtuous at yeah. some point. And if you were allowed to, uh, or you were actually forced into a lane, mm-hmm. because confusion must mean you're not heteronormative, mm-hmm. then you're forced into that lane. I think that's what I'm what I'm trying to get at.
0: Right, and, and, it, and I feel like that certainly goes back to the idea that you were saying about this post truth because truth says that confusion, you know, truth is what defines confusion. Right. Right. So we can't have confusion if we don't have truth. Right. And they're saying, you know, we, we reject that truth because this becomes your new truth mm-hmm. because it's you.
1: And those words, we use those are all the time. I have to tell them my truth. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a new catchphrase now, mm-hmm. my truth. Mm-hmm. I'm telling them my, what they mean is my perspective, mm-hmm. um, which I get what they're saying there. But we sort of personalize truth um, and it, it, it's true for you, for example. Let's say someone has has true gender dysphoria; mm-hmm. they really do have this, this 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 wrestling with their mental sense of who they are uh, in a gender, and their body and their physical sense are at war with each other. That's a real phenomenon. It's very rare, mm-hmm. but it does happen. Their truth is their struggle. That is mm-hmm. true. It, it is true that they objectively true that they are going through the struggle, but it's not true that you get to pick. Yeah. Um, uh, that's not how that works. So I think that's where we're seeing these, this sort of personalization of truth, which actually in, eventually does away with the whole concept at all, at all or at least downplays it so that's not really that important. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing we're really clear about in this culture right now, and this is a sad part I think is going on, is that if you don't agree with me, you're Hitler. I'm clear that I'm always right and you're always wrong, and if you don't agree with me, I'm going to label you something like Hitler or Stalin or yeah. Ceausescu. You name your despot, that's who you become. Um, so it's a shaming almost. And this is what's interesting is in this new book I'm writing with Ravi on uh, the Easternness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm writing a chapter right now on Eastern shame and honor cultures, and mm. the interesting conclusion I'm coming to is that Western culture has caught up to and possibly even surpassed Eastern cultures in being shame and honor-based. Wow. We shame people left, right, and center for their political opinions, for their social opinions. That's so true time.
0: with the whole, basically the last election cycle and Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, say no more. Like that yeah. was all about shame. Yeah. And befriending and on and on. Our moral enforcement
1: is now shame. It's no longer truth, right and wrong. Mm. Um, is this correct or is this false? Is this right or is this wrong? It's are you bucking the collective system and I'm going to shame you until you shut up.
0: So I want to ask you about something that you said that I thought was really great. The The official apologetics verse is always First Peter 3.15, but you said one that you hang on to a lot is Colossians 4, 5, and 6, and it is, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then you said... Apologetics is not about answering questions, but about answering people.
1: That's right, I don't think apologists should answer questions, um, they should answer people.
0: Questions are the means by which
1: people get their, 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 mm. their answers. Um, but Paul's very deliberate when he says how you ought to answer each person. He could have said how you ought to answer each controversy, each question, each issue. He didn't say that, how you ought to answer each person. So making the best use of the time, is understanding what is their baggage. Every question is asked by a questioner. Um, mm-hmm. And every questioner has their context and their baggage. I very rarely ever met, and maybe never have met, frankly, I don't know, someone who's asked me about the problem of evil, who didn't experience some form of it in their life, mm-hmm. or know someone who did. I have very rarely ever been asked a question by someone about the Trinity, who hasn't tried to understand who God is in their life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or how can God exist in a certain way? There's a yearning in every question. Otherwise, you wouldn't have asked it. Mm -hmm. Pure, raw, academic um, curiosity is rare. Mm -hmm. And it's not because it's a good thing and it's rare. It's that it's rare because human condition doesn't allow for it to be all that prevalent. There's always a context. Always a context. So you have to answer the person, not the question. The question is the means by which you answer the person. But it itself does not need answers. People
0: need answers. Last question How are you personally answering God's call? Mm. Well, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday. Dr.
1: Gary Habermas was here. And we were talking about um, ministry and all these things. And I would say this. I've never been busier than I am right now. I've never Mm. worked more, traveled more uh, with books and speaking and other things that I have to do. Um, But I haven't toiled one day. Now, there are parts of my job that are a a job, you know, which is Mm -hmm. life. Um, But never toiled one day. I feel like I'm answering God's call because the drudgery of everyday life and sometimes just of, of working is so outweighed by the joy. Mm. As we were walking over here, someone mm-hmm. told me that they became a Christian because they heard me explain the Trinity. This is yeah. atheist talking. Yeah, So unusual. I'm going to remember that all day. Yeah. Not because I said something, but because God used me. Here's what I would say. I'm answering God's call by listening to what it is, and following it, I have this whole discussion on finding your call where passion meets purpose. Mm. So what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about people. I went to an undergraduate degree in psychology because I wanted to be a therapist. Then I went to law school because I love the gathering of evidence and I love to make arguments. Mm. Now an apologist who uses evidence and arguments to answer people. And so the, the sort of winding route to all this shows me God's hand is in everything, even seemingly tangential or weird roads you take Mm -hmm. are actually lining up with his purposes so I find my call where my passion for people and evidence and argument has met my purpose my God-given purpose it's not a mystery to know God and make him known that's every Christians purpose Mm -hmm. every human's purpose by the way Mm -hmm. is to know God and make him known that's my purpose my passion lined up with that in this way if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a mechanic or whatever it might be, a nurse, a, a, a stay-at-home parent, your passion will line up with your purpose. Yeah. And when it does, it'll snap together. Like yeah. one of those pixelated paintings you see in malls where you don't yeah. know what it is exactly, right. you stare at it and suddenly it's a dog. Yeah. Well, in this case, my passion, my
0: purpose snapped together and I saw this is my call. That's interesting. That's amazing. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, want Mm -hmm. to follow you, social media?
1: So I'm on Twitter, um, AbduMurray, A-B-D-U-M-U-R-R-A-Y. Instagram, uh, Um, AbduMurray12. And then I have a Facebook page as well. But uh, AbduMurray.com and then rzim.org. You can see our entire team there, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all of us. Excellent.
0: Well, thanks so much, Abdu. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey. It's Gary and Joe here again. Would you do us a favor? If you like this podcast, go to iTunes and leave us a review. This would mean the world to us. Thanks.